This evening we're going to take a look at the Word of God in Ephesians, rather, chapter 5. Ephesians 5, I'll read the first 21 verses, and the sermon will focus particularly on verse 18. Ephesians 5, you'll find that on page 1244. Listen to the Word of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the, upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord." Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. We, every Lord's Day, confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And on the occasions when we sing the doxology, we sing praise to God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Ghost, that is, God the Holy Spirit. But though we sing these things and confess these things, we don't always understand the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and that is to our detriment. And so over the past number of Lord's Days, we've been looking at various facets of the Spirit and His work in the lives of the people of God. We notice that the Spirit is given by the ascended Lord Jesus Christ as a gift 
to his church. And that when the Spirit comes, he creates the church. He's a missionary spirit who draws in sinners from darkness into light, from the fellowship of Satan into the fellowship of God. He's the spirit who gives us intimacy and fellowship with God so that we know the Lord. He's the spirit who has given us the scriptures, inspired men to write the scriptures, illuminates us so that we understand the scripture. He's the spirit of sonship, of adoption, so that by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. He is the Spirit of holiness who works in us to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The Spirit is given to us as a seal, as a guarantee, as the firstfruits, the deposit, the down payment, assuring us that having the Spirit we will receive the fullness of our inheritance. He's the one who baptizes us into one body and who gifts the body of Christ with various gifts for service to one another and to God. He is our prayer partner, helping us in our confusion to pray to our God. He's the paraclete, the one who comes alongside us, whose one mission it is to focus our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who regenerates us, who gives us new life. And last Lord's Day, we were warned that we ought not to resist the Spirit of God or quench His work within our lives. And this evening, I want to end the series with these words from the Apostle Paul be filled with the Spirit. If you know your Scriptures well, you'll know that in the New Testament there are various people who are said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, we read about Stephen. And it was said that Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And not only was this said of Stephen as an individual, but it was said of the whole church In Acts 13, there we read at the end of the chapter that the disciples were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. And here in our passage this evening, the Apostle Paul, or God through the Apostle Paul, or God through the Holy Spirit's inspiration of the Apostle Paul, says to us that we are to be filled with the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? We are given a great deal of help in that by understanding the contrast that the Apostle Paul makes in verse 18. He says that we are not to get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but instead, drawing the contrast, we're instead to be filled with the Spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul is very careful here. In consonant with the testimony of Scripture throughout, the Apostle Paul does not forbid the use of wine. The Scriptures never do. The Bible is abundantly clear that wine is given as a gift to bring joy to the hearts of men. The Lord Jesus at the wedding feast in Canaan provided wine for uh, the wedding goers to drink. The Bible everywhere warns against drunkenness, and it seems to me that in our community, a little more stress could be given to the warnings that the Scripture gives about drunkenness because it has devastating consequences, as we will see. 
But the Bible is not against the use of alcohol. In fact, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, who had some sort of stomach ailment, that he should take some wine. It would be good for him. But the Bible is clear that drunkenness is forbidden. You can see this in the book of Proverbs, where we're warned against the dangers of drunkenness. And, and if you understand what happens when you get drunk, you can see why God so strongly forbids drunkenness in numerous places in the Scripture. When a person is inebriated, then they lose self-control. They're unable to think clearly. They do not have the powers of discernment or the ability to assess Their guards are let down. They can no longer be sober-minded. And really, in short, when one is drunk, you are unable to be all that Christ, by his death, has determined you to be. You are under the control, under the influence. And under the influence of alcohol, the Apostle Paul says, it leads to debauchery, to loose living, to spiritual carelessness and sensual wickedness. And Paul is emphatic here. Do not get drunk with wine. It's not an option. It's a command. What then? Well, he says, instead, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the apostle draws that contrast, he certainly wants us to see that just as we're not to be under the influence of drunkenness, we are to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that he is to control our lives, that we're to be lived, that our lives are to be lived thoroughly and completely under his lordship. Now, this doesn't mean that we are somehow in a frenzy or have some ecstatic experiences that we can do nothing about. Like, remember the Toronto blessing of a number of years ago, this barking and uh, this silly behavior was attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not true at all. Because as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So it doesn't mean that being under the influence of the Spirit, being under the lordship of the Spirit so that he has free reign in your life, it doesn't mean that you are passive and just controlled without any sense of being self-controlled. Well, what does it mean then to be under the influence of the Spirit? Well, this is very clearly addressed in what the Apostle Paul goes on to say. He says, you're not to be filled with the Spirit. Instead, you're, to, uh, you're not to be drunk with wine. You're to be filled with the Spirit. And when you are filled with the Spirit, then you will have fellowship. You will address one another. There will be worship. You will make melody to the Lord with your heart. There will be thanksgiving. And there will be mutual submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is, when you are filled with the Spirit, you will be filled simultaneously with Christ-like graces. The fruit of the Spirit will abound in your life. You will be conformed to the image of your elder brother, Jesus Christ. Being under the control of the Spirit, under his influence, means that you will be led into holiness. 
So that keep, to keep in step with the Spirit means to shun sin and embrace obedience. You can look at this another way that I think will be helpful. Who was the man who was filled with the Spirit without measure? Well, of course, it was the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit of God. And at his baptism, remember, children, how the Spirit came upon the Lord Jesus in the form of a dove. And it was by the Spirit that the Lord Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. It was by the Spirit and by the power of the Spirit and by the anointing of the Spirit that Jesus then returned and began to preach the gospel because the Lord had anointed him with the Spirit to proclaim good news to the poor. It was by the Spirit of God that Jesus was able to cast out demons and to do all of his miracles. Jesus was a man who was on, under the influence of the Spirit because as the Apostle John says in John 1 or 2, I forget which one, but what the Apostle John says is that the Spirit was given to Jesus without measure, without any limitation whatsoever so that his whole life and ministry, in fact, even his death, as the writer to the Hebrews says, he by the eternal Spirit offered himself to God on the cross, so that the whole ministry of our Lord Jesus, from his baptism to his tomb to his resurrection and to his ascension, the whole ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ was superintended and empowered by the Spirit, so that Jesus was filled with the Spirit par excellence. And that resulted in his life being dedicated to obedience, to doing his Father's will, and pursuing his Father's glory. Come what may, whatever opposition he faced, however strenuous the attacks of the enemy, whatever it cost our Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit, our Lord Jesus followed the dictates of the Father, and pursued the glory of His name. So that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that will be evident in your life as well. In fact, it has to be because there is only one Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit who was upon the Lord Jesus Christ, He has now poured out upon His church so that the Spirit takes the life of the Lord Jesus as a pattern, and then traces the Lord's life into your life so that you will be devoted more and more to obeying your Father in heaven, to glorifying His name, sharing both in the sufferings of Christ in order that you might also one day share in His glory. To be filled with the Spirit means to be under the influence of the Spirit so that you live your life for the glory of your God. But let's look a little more closely at uh, what the Apostle Paul says in this phrase, be filled with the Spirit. And if you remember your grade school grammar, you'll be given some help. If not, no great shakes. I don't actually anticipate that. Most of us do remember our grade school grammar. 
if we were even taught it. But in this phrase, the first thing I want to point out is that this is an imperative. Be filled with the Spirit. So it's not a suggestion. The Apostle Paul is not saying, listen, I've I've got this option for you. It will really be good for your Christian life, and you might want to think about uh, doing it. You know, you might want to think about being filled with the Holy Spirit. No, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a direct command by God to you to be filled with the Spirit. It's an imperative. Secondly, it's plural. That is, it's not just one person who is to be filled with the Spirit, but you all are supposed to be filled with the Spirit. Sometimes within the Christian church, it is thought that the gift of the Spirit or the filling of the Spirit is given to particular people who have some sort of official function in the church uh, as an elder or a deacon or a missionary or a minister of the gospel. But that's not the way it is at all. We are all baptized by one Spirit into the body when we are converted to faith in Jesus Christ. And God's design is that all people from young to old, male and female, would be filled with the Spirit of God. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's a plural imperative. And then it's a present imperative. There are two types of, of commands in the, in the Greek New Testament. The first is, for those who like grammar, an aorist imperative. And then there's a present imperative. An aorist imperative is a command to do something once. So, for example, in John 2, as Jesus is at this wedding feast in Cana, and uh, his mother wants him to do something because they've run out of wine. And uh, Jesus uh, said to the servants, fill the jars with water. That's an aorist imperative. They're to do it just once. Not to continually fill them, but fill them with water. But here, it is a present imperative, which means that we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That this is not a a once-and-done thing, but this happens throughout the totality of our Christian life baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, and then for the rest of our lives, we are always to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a continual process. And this reminds us that the Spirit comes upon the people of God in degrees. If we are to be filled with the Spirit and to be filled constantly with the Spirit, it's also possible that there are times in our life when we are less filled with the Holy Spirit, less under His control where he doesn't have the free reign that he ought to have. This is, I think, what the Apostle Paul warned against when he says that that we are not to quench the Spirit, or or what he says in in, in Ephesians 4 in the chapter just above us, when, when he says we're not to grieve the Spirit. Well, when we quench the Spirit, when we grieve the Spirit, that means that that we're not filled with the Spirit. Perhaps half filled, or three quarters filled, or, or perhaps even a quarter filled with the Spirit. But we must be continually filled with the Spirit, and not just partially filled, but completely filled. So it's a command. It's a command to all. It's a command to all that must be done all the time. And then, just to confuse things a bit, it's a 
passive command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not fill yourself with the Holy Spirit, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not so much telling you what you ought to do, so much as telling you to be the kind of people that God can then fill with His Holy Spirit. So that we could translate this as well, that we are to let ourselves be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So this is important. It's a command. It's not an option for the Christian life. It's also a blessing and privilege because our happiness and joy as Christians depends in large part to the degree with which we are filled with the Spirit of God. So then the question that you're all concerned about is, how in the world do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? What kind of person must I be in order that God might fill me with a Spirit so that His gracious influences might flow through my life, transforming everything that it touches so that I'm no longer under the influence of the way the Gentiles used to walk, but I'm, I'm walking in a new life. The Lord is creating me in righteousness and holiness after His own image. Remember, it was the Spirit of God who came upon man in the garden, and now the Spirit of God comes upon the renewed, the recreated man as the Lord Jesus commands us through His Word to be filled with the Spirit. So how can we be filled with the Spirit? Well, there's two passages in the New Testament that I want to draw your attention to because I think they help us a great deal. The first is in the gospel according to John chapter 7. There the Lord Jesus is attending the feast in Jerusalem. And then it says in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this is what Jesus is pointing forward to. Today, when he's glorified, when he's exalted on the cross, and then beyond that, exalted to the right hand of the Father, and having received the Spirit from the Father, he then pours the Spirit out on the church. And that Spirit that is poured out on the church is given to believers so that if they thirst, they are satisfied, and that out of their hearts rivers of living water will flow to others. So how do you get the Spirit? Or how do you get this living water to use the picture that Jesus uses? Well, this is what Jesus says. If anyone thirsts, if anyone desires the Spirit, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart, the Spirit will flow. 
Now, of course, this makes all the sense in the world because the only giver of every good and perfect gift is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's there's no way that you can get any spiritual blessing except in Jesus Christ so that if you want to be filled with the Spirit so that His gracious influences permeate your life, the only person you can go to is the Lord Jesus. He's the dispenser. He's the giver. He's the distributor of the Spirit. And so we must come to the Lord Jesus. We must believe in Him. We must trust Him as our Savior. We must submit ourselves to Him as our Lord, fall on our knees, and beg of Him that He would receive us in grace. Because when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, then all the blessings of His grace that He has purchased for us by His death on the cross, all those blessings come flowing into our lives. And the great blessing of Christ to His church is, of course, the Holy Spirit of God. We've been given every spiritual, capital S, blessing in Christ. And so to get the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, means we must come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and drink and believe in Him as our Savior and Lord. But where do you find the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, He's at the right hand of the Father, you say. Yes, that's true. But he also promised that he would be with us always, even to the ends of the earth, so that we believe on the basis of his promise that, that our Lord Jesus is present right here, right now. He's addressing us. He's speaking to us. In his, he's speaking to us in his word, because it's in the word of God that we find the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I find it so interesting that the Apostle Paul, in his parallel passage to the passage we read, so we read from Ephesians 5, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. That parallel passage is found in Colossians 3, where the Apostle says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So you see, in both passages, Paul is talking about singing to one another. You haven't thought of that, I don't imagine, often, that, that when we sing in corporate worship, we're not only addressing ourselves to God, but we're singing to one another. We're reminding each other of the great truths of the gospel that we are loudly proclaiming to the praise of our God. But Paul, in both Ephesians and Colossians, speaks about addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In both passages, he says that we are to be thankful to God for His grace. And in Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And in Colossians, he says... Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. And I say this makes all the sense in the world. Because if the Spirit is given to us in union with Jesus Christ, then the only place to find Christ is in the Word of God. And it's the Spirit 
through the Word, who points us always to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Word of Christ. It's the Gospel. It's the good news. The good news that was promised in the Old Testament, that was realized in the coming of Christ, that is explained in the epistles of the New Testament. This Word of Christ needs to dwell in us richly. And as the Word of Christ dwells in us richly, Christ, by His Spirit, dwells in us as well. As Hugh Martin says, without the Spirit, the Word of God is dead. And without the Word, the Spirit of God is dumb. The Spirit has nothing to say if He doesn't have the Word. And if there's only the Word without the Spirit, the Word says nothing to us. So Word and Spirit always work together so closely and intimately and inseparably. You do not have the Spirit without the Word, and the Word is not the Word of God without the Spirit. And so if the Word of Christ dwells in you, if you read the Word and study the Word and and in the pages of the Gospel see the Lord Jesus Christ and all of His infinite glory and wonderful grace and His tender compassion by the Spirit, then the Spirit of God will be filling you and you will be transformed bit by bit so that you become increasingly like the Lord Jesus Christ, and so that you enjoy with freshness all of the blessings that the Lord Jesus Christ has purchased for you. It has to be that way. It has to be in Christ. And it's only in the Scriptures that the Spirit leads us to the Holy Christ, so that through the Word of God, meditating on the Scriptures, and by the Scriptures and Spirit being led to trust in the Lord Jesus, to embrace Him by faith, it is there that we are then filled with the Spirit of God. So you are confused and lonely and concerned about your relationship with God. Well, it's the Spirit through the Word which will remind you that you are the children of God. And if children, then you are heirs, heirs of God, and and joint heirs with Christ. And that God is your Father, that He doesn't hate you, that He's kindly disposed towards you, that that everything that happens in your life is, is from His eternal plan and is determined for your good. It's as you read the Word of God and are led to the Lord Jesus Christ that the Spirit then fills you so that you know the blessings that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're overwhelmed by your sin, convicted, weighed down under the guilt and burden of your sin. But in the Word that you've read, you've read about the Lord Jesus who will cleanse you from all sin so that if you believe in Him, You will have forgiveness in His name. And the Spirit leads you to the Lord Jesus so that you trust in Him afresh. And you have the sense of your sins being washed away, forever removed, never remembered and held against you anymore. It was the Spirit through the Word who brought you to Christ so that you might know 
all the blessings that you have in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. And our problem as Christians is that we do not know our privileges as well as we should. We live subpar lives because we do not fully understand all that Christ has accomplished for us by His glorious death and His wonderful resurrection and all that He is now doing for us as He intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father on high. And so what we need to do is be filled with the Spirit. We need to scour the pages of Scripture, read and study the Gospels so that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Word of Christ might dwell richly within us so that we might know the joy and blessing of His grace and better commit ourselves to following our gracious Savior and Redeemer. So, brothers and sisters, Here's the command to all of you. Be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We thank you that when Christ went up, the Spirit came down, that he is the gift of of the ascended Christ to us, and that by the Spirit, Christ comes to live in our hearts by faith. And we pray that we would be filled with the Spirit so that the Father and the Son might dwell with us, that we might have sweet fellowship with you and communion as well with one another. We pray that our lives would be changed more and more, that as individuals and as a congregation of your people, We would be men and women and boys and girls transformed by the Spirit of the living God. We pray that as a result of this series over the past number of weeks, we might know the Spirit more, that we might love Him more deeply, appreciate His work in us and for us, and that above all, as we follow His leading, we might treasure the Lord Jesus Christ all the more until that great day when faith becomes sight and we see him as he is. Hear us, we pray. Protect us from resisting, quenching, and grieving the Spirit. May we be filled with the Spirit for our blessing and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.